Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, inflation rises to its highest level in almost 40 years. Inflation, Mr. Speaker, has hit a 40-year high and Canadians are worse off than they ever could have imagined. 7.7% inflation and it's Canadians who are suffering. While Liberals blame COVID, Putin and everything else, Conservatives have asked and are still asking that the Liberals cut taxes and give Canadians a break at the pumps. Pierre Poilievre says a government led by him would ensure every dollar of new spending is met with a cut to something else. I think it's long overdue that uh, somebody's t- talked about reining in federal spending. Uh, this government has has done quite the opposite. So, uh, you know, that should be welcomed, I suppose. But this is a gimmick in the same way that Poilievre has proposed gimmicks for every other policy, including the Bank of Canada, fire, fire the government of the Bank of Canada and subject it to the Auditor General, as if that is going to cure inflation. And the Prime Minister says long lineups at passport offices are unacceptable. And during that moment, the Prime Minister is, I believe, flying to Rwanda with no problem with his passport or visa or whatever you want, leaving all those people in a terrible situation. It's Thursday, June 23rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Good morning, Mark. So let's start by talking about inflation. It's now at 7.7% in Canada, the highest point since 1983, almost 40 years ago. Uh, there's, there's, This is obviously being driven by a number of factors, including gas prices rising by 12%. Many other things are going up as well. What do you think the implications of this are? Well, politically, obviously not good news for any sitting government that uh, that has to try and deal with this. You know, it, it's arguable how much responsibility the government bears, even how much the Bank of Canada bears. I mean, you know, the UK announced its inflation rate for the same month. Uh, yesterday morning, it was 9.1%. So this is something which is happening everywhere. The government, I do not think, helped itself um, in that it has announced... $9 billion of, of relief. Now, that might, at first blush, look like uh, Canadians will be happy with that. But at the same time, it makes the Bank of Canada's job harder, and rates will probably go up faster and, and to a higher level than they would otherwise have done if fiscal policy had been working with monetary policy as opposed to against it, which I think is what the government is doing. And I do think that um, the opposition parties, especially the Conservatives, will make hay with that. Pierre Poilievre has already said... The government is pouring uh, oil on the fire. So it's tough. It's tough for governments. It's not going to come down overnight. Um, you know, higher interest rates are coming. I think we're going to see another, another three-quarter point uh, rise in the next round of uh, interest rate rises. So this is going to be really tough for a lot of people for a period of time. And we just hope that the uh, the, the bank knows what it's doing and actually gets gets inflation under control. Yeah. And and obviously, the the more uh, it rises, the more of a political issue it becomes, and and the more scrutiny there will be on government decisions, in, including government spending. And uh, it's interesting that Pierre Poilievre, who's running for the Conservative leadership, is widely perceived as the front runner, is saying that if he and and the Conservatives form a government, he would introduce new legislation that would force cabinet members and and government departments 
to uh, offset every dollar of new spending by cutting a dollar of something else. In other words, if you started spending in a new area, you'd have to get rid of an old program. Uh, and he's calling this pay-as-you-go, and his campaign sent out some information talking about scouring for waste that would otherwise go on robbing taxpayers into perpetuity. So I'm sure that that makes for, for a good leadership campaign politics, but how practical is that for a government? Well, it's, it's, I think it's long overdue that uh, somebody's t- talked about reining in federal spending. Uh, this government has, has done quite the opposite. So, uh, you know, that should be welcomed, I suppose. But this is a gimmick in the same way that Wally Evans proposed gimmicks for every other policy, including the Bank of Canada, fire, fire the governor of the Bank of Canada, and subject it to the Auditor General, as if that is going to cure inflation. You know, the, we, the devil's in the detail, I guess, because we don't know whether it would cover capital spending. You know, at, at, at various points in a government's life, it's going to find that it needs to spend more money quite drastically to meet changing conditions. For example, if there's, if, uh, there's a war in Europe, Canada's going to have to spend an awful lot on defence spending. If you straightjacket yourself into this kind of policy, uh, it inevitably, I think inevitably, governments break it. That's what happens. That's what we've seen in the U.S., where right-wing governments, Republican governments, have, have brought in tax cuts and not offset by, with them with spending cuts. And Democrats have broken the rules by increasing spending and not making cuts elsewhere. So... You know, I don't. I think it would. If it was brought in, it, it's a gimmick. If it was brought in, it would wouldn't last long before there would be immense pressures on the government of the day to spend, or if they wanted to make tax cuts to to make uh, to make cuts elsewhere. Yeah, and of course, uh, especially in a time of inflation, the costs are going to go up, and and spending is going to have to go up, and then it is a piece of legislation as well, which would mean that a, a future government could could simply introduce new legislation or remove that legislation. So it, it wouldn't necessarily force subsequent governments to live by those rules, right? No, but I, I do think the one good thing about it is that it is at least having the conversation about uh, bringing in spending rules and creating a bit of fiscal discipline, because there's not much fiscal discipline in this government at the moment, despite what the finance minister has been talking about restraint. Now, speaking of the conservative leadership race, uh, it's interesting that uh, Michelle Rempel-Garner is stepping down as Patrick Brown's national co-chair. Patrick Brown uh, is running for the leadership, um, and she's likely going to run for the United Conservative Party leadership in Alberta to replace Jason Kenney. Uh, But now it appears uh, that that a key member of Patrick Brown's campaign team, his campaign manager, is going with her, that he's going to go and help Michelle Rempel-Garner and leave uh, Patrick Brown's campaign behind, obviously at a pretty crucial juncture with only a few months left in that race. So uh, that doesn't send a very strong signal about where Patrick Brown's campaign is at. No, it does seem the Brown campaign is is running out of steam a bit. Uh, He has his own time pressures, because if he wants to run for mayor of Brampton, where he's already mayor, if he wants to, uh, to be, to be uh, re-elected, he has to declare himself for that before the Conservative leadership comes along. So he's got a decision to make, you know, if we take at face value the the, uh, the memberships that were sold, and we know that uh, Brown came out one day and said he'd sold 150,000, and the next day, Waliev came out and said he'd sold more than 300,000, if you take that at face value and those people do vote, 
then Poirier is going to win. It's not quite as simple as that, but uh, in the, the system that the Conservatives have got, have got to elect a leader, but the logic would suggest is that that's such a big lead that, that Brown can't possibly catch him up. Uh, so it, it looks like even if he stays in the race, he's not going to have enough votes to win it. I think what, what would be interesting is um, it, it always seemed to me that the only route to victory for, for Jean Charest was if uh, all of Brown's supporters came over to him. You know, it's not if Brown didn't run, they, those people have already signed up as members. If they vote, um, then they probably would vote for Charest down down the ballot. But if Brown's not in the race, would they bother voting? Who knows? Yeah. All right. Finally, uh, people have been hearing story after story about what's happening at uh, passport offices across the country. They've been overwhelmed in recent days as people try to get their hands on the documents they need before they travel abroad this summer. Um, there, there have been huge lineups, people arriving the night before uh, to, to sleep outside and, and sit in lawn chairs and wait for the doors to open in the morning. Um, and the prime minister, in an interview with CBC, said the delays are unacceptable. And he says the government will step up. Is is this something that can be fixed quickly by the government? I mean, this is this is just in Trudeau at his worst. The government will step up. Well, the government is not able to step up. It hired as many people as it could possibly hire. Uh, it takes 15 weeks or so to train each of these people Um Apparently, it's hired 600 passport workers in January. It's going to hire more now. By the time they've hired all these people and they've trained them, then the problem is probably diffused because clearly it's a, they got a rush of passport applications that they weren't ex- particularly expecting. Um, you know, the government, the, Trudeau's saying the government's at, you know, looking at this night and day. Well, they're not looking at night and day because if they were, those offices would be open 24 hours and people wouldn't be lining up in the middle of the night. But the really curious thing to me is, and I've been talking to somebody who used to work at Passport Canada, about how could they possibly get in this muddle in the first place? On average, they process 5 million passports. You know, In the COVID years, they were only processing 1.3 million. But in 2013, they brought in 10-year passports for the first time. Now, those passports aren't even up for renewal yet. So how could we possibly be in a state where um, they're caught off guard by this sudden rush when they knew people would want to come back and get passports. So, I mean, at some point the government is, uh, the, the public is looking at the government and going, how come the most basic government services? And this passports, of all the services they offer, because they know when they're up for renewal, is the most basic of all. It's a, ma- it's a major screw-up. All right. We'll see if anything can be done about it. John, thank you so much for joining us today. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Inflation, Mr. Speaker, has hit a 40-year high and Canadians are worse off than they ever could have imagined. 7.7% inflation and it's Canadians who are suffering. While Liberals blame COVID, Putin and everything else, Conservatives have asked and are still asking that the Liberals cut taxes and give Canadians a break at the pumps. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun considers Canada's climbing inflation rates. The Sun writes, The latest inflation numbers from Statistics Canada are out. And once again, the number has moved higher than it was a month ago and shows no sign of calming down. It's a worrisome trend. What's even more worrisome is that the people in charge don't seem to really know what they're doing. 
A new report from Scotiabank's chief economist says that cuts to government spending will help cool rampant inflation, explaining that the current liberal spending plan is fueling demand, which is worsening inflation. The government should take this advice. At the line, Stephen Marr argues either Brenda Lucky has to go or Justin Trudeau and Bill Blair do. Marr writes, It's hard to imagine that Commissioner Brenda Lucky will be able to maintain public confidence after evidence presented Tuesday in the inquiry into the Nova Scotia mass shooting. She seems to have conflated the political interest of the Liberals with those of the RCMP. If Lucky was clumsily freelancing, seeking to curry favor with her bosses, she needs to go. If Blair and Trudeau were putting the muscle on her to release politically helpful information, even at the risk of damaging an investigation, they need to go. Either way, we need to find out. In the National Post, Rex Murphy argues the Brenda Lucky scandal is a chance for Jugmeet Singh to stand up. Murphy writes, Brenda Lucky's alleged interference with the police investigation of the Portapique massacre is one of the highest gravity and deepest political morality. They not only deserve, they insist on something far more substantial than another limp call for a useless inquiry. They call for Jugmeet Singh to remove his party from the coalition and force a real inquiry. He should bring on a confidence motion and start standing up for a functioning, zealous, and honorable session of our House of Commons. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will continue his trip to Rwanda, where he will participate in the Commonwealth Business Forum and meet with the President of Rwanda. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend question period. Justice Minister David Lametti will make a funding announcement regarding support to address the over-representation of Indigenous peoples in the justice system in Quebec. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference in Ottawa before taking part in question period. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, June 23rd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.